Hi, I'm Kurt Toto with Realm IQ. This is our podcast, Realm IQ Sessions, where we talk about everything AI with AI leaders from around the world. Please give us a follow or, subs or subscribe. Today's guest is Amanda Peterson. Amanda has had diverse roles in psychology, data science, and user-centric product development. She has been a product manager and software engineer across startups and larger corporations and is currently head of product at Ovations. That's with a Z. Welcome, Amanda. We want to talk AI, so let's get into it. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. We met through Ovations, the current company that you're at. and We did. And you came on a little after I had joined as a speaker. And I think you're a welcome addition. Feel free to tell us about Ovations and then also do you have any AI plans and whether it's speaking engagements and or technology. And then what, you know, how has your intersection of, of AI happened to intersect your with your career? So please elaborate. Yeah, well, let me go ahead and start off with explaining a little about Ovations. Ovations is a two-sided marketplace that is a little bit similar to Cameo. I know that you're already on Ovations, Kurt, but have you also heard of Cameo? Oh, yeah, certainly. Okay. <laughs> well, that's George, how I George like Santos, is, George Santos <laughs> is making really a killing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so basically, Ovations, the way I like to describe it, is very similar to Cameo, but it's for more professional speaking engagements. So what we're trying to do is basically help our speakers monetize their time and talent and also to get discovered and to grow their network so that they can speak at other events where they might not already have that connection. So I know that, Kurt, you're one of our speakers. Through the Ovations platform, ideally someone outside of your network could see your name pop up. Maybe they go onto our landing page. They do a search for the topic AI. And then they find your name and they're like, oh, who's this guy? Who's her? And then they can read about oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they can book you to speak for whatever type of event that they're planning. So that is what we are trying to do at Ovation. So, yeah. It's awesome. I, I, I love the platform and it's really easy to use. And it's like the, the LinkedIn for Cameo, right? It's like yes. <laughs> LinkedIn, Cameo, do a mashup. That's right. It's <laughs> Marrying really cool. things together. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, I think there's a market fit and the AI, AI conferences have exploded all over the globe. I think just in the Bay area alone, there was like a hundred last year. I mean, it, it's just crazy. So I, I think adding AI as a filter for types of speakers and types of subjects, I, I think is a, is a great addition. So that's awesome. So tell us about your background and and how you how you came to be at Ovations and and where had you worked prior? Yeah, I would love to. So I'm going to try and give you a little roadmap because my background is pretty diverse. People have called my background a little bit like a unicorn because I've done so many different things. But yeah, I'm going to try and highlight how I got into data. It happened around 2014. And then my most recent project that I'm working on, I'm actually giving a lightning talk about it tonight at Microsoft with their AIML uh, tech talk. And I will be announcing and talking about producer, which is what I'm working on currently. 
But to sort of go back to the beginning, my story really starts with an interest in behavior change. And I guess more specifically around addiction. So I grew up in a very religious community and culture. I grew up Mormon. And there were a lot of sort of people, I guess, in you know, my community that had like different types of addictions growing up. And I think that that's fairly common in a religious culture where there are a lot of rules, like no alcohol, no smoking, no sex before marriage. Actually, when I was at BYU, I did BYU undergrad and grad school. I went to law school and business school. Undergrad, I studied psychology. And my very last year there, I worked with hundreds of students across campus that had a very specific type of addiction and also in the women's services center with females who are struggling with eating disorders. Mm. And I think that from a very early young age, I really kind of became well-versed in what addiction looks like both individually for the person and also how it impacts the people that are closest to them. I also observed that people who are really trying to stop engaging in some type of unwanted behavior that shows up as an addiction, they are very motivated. They're almost entrepreneurial because they are driven to find a solution to this very personal problem that they have. And they're also very hungry for data as they are trying to come up with solutions and test out different theories that could be helpful for them in managing whatever it is they're working on. They are looking for patterns, you know, like when is it that I would, you know, like make this bad decision or, you know, like sort of what are the leading causes up to this kind of like, you know, yeah, decision-making experience. So was very interested in that uh, my undergrad. And then I decided to go to law school and I was very interested in being a public defender. I wanted to defend people who were about to lose their liberty, but then got a little bit impatient with the public legal system Mm. and was very attracted to the way that I, from the outside looking in, saw businesses doing things. So I did this internship with PwC with their people and change department. And then, yeah, ended up, that's when I started doing the joint Lady MBA program. And then after that, I immediately went to San Francisco. It was my first time in the Bay Area. I was doing a startup nonprofit with two friends who were co-founding it. It was called the Reset Foundation. What the Reset Foundation was trying to do is to create an alternative to prison for people going to jail. So rather than taking someone and sending them to jail for three years, And within that experience, they wouldn't normally start a re-entry program until about three months prior to them going back into their community. So you have a lot of time wasted, really. What we wanted to do is to, instead of sending them to that type of environment and structure, we thought, what if we sent them to a place that felt and operated like a Google campus? And so that's where we designed this idea of the reset campus. We wanted it to look and feel completely different from prison. And it was specifically for people 18 to 25 years old. So people who had aged out of the public school system that did not have a high school diploma. And that was the population that we were working with. So as I started to kind of dive into this new role, one thing that I learned is that the 18 to 25 year olds that we were working with 
without a high school diploma, we're on a sixth grade reading or math level, which I think is fairly common. Education is really a perfect example of things that require months and personalization, which is really what data allows us to do. Healthcare is also a huge thing there. So I started to explore different tools to help create a more customized learning experience. And that was the first time that I came across adaptive learning models. And I think at that time in 2014, Duolingo was really at the star of the show. And I had used Duolingo, you know, a little bit, but basically, or it's almost very similar to the GMAT test. So if you and I were both taking the GMAT test, we would end up taking our own unique test because what it does is it understands based off of our interactions with the test, who we are, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, Duolingo the same. And then the test or the experience or the product will change to fit our specific needs. And then also like based on the goals that whatever the product has. So yeah, I thought that was fascinating. And so I started to like really think hard about this and particularly in the mental health space. Like I thought it would be really great also, you know, mental health had this type of customization ability. So what I started developing at that time, I ended up leaving the Reset Foundation. I learned how to code by taking a full-time web development bootcamp, later became a software engineer, back-end software engineer at a VR gaming company. But at this bootcamp, the first app that I built, the first mobile app I built was called Stressless. And basically what it did is it took the user journey of someone who experienced addiction or who was trying to stop engaging in some type of unwanted behavior. It would have a panic button so that when you found yourself at that crossroads and you felt like you were struggling and you were about to do something that you didn't want to do, you could press the panic button and then it would send out a text message to people that you had defined in your circle. And it wasn't necessarily meant to stop you. I think that, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's, you know, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. So it's really hard to stop the behavior if you wait right sort of when you're there. It's a lot about preventative. Yeah. But the benefit of doing that is that it really allowed people to communicate with their support network about what was going on. And one of the early users, he was actually in my coding boot camp. His daughter was using it. She was at Berkeley, she was a freshman, and she was struggling with anxiety. And he said that it was really illuminating to him because we, when he had heard his daughter struggling about anxiety, he thought that it was like something that maybe happens like once a week or once every couple of weeks. But she was pressing the panic button quite often. Mm. And he said he just never realized how all-consuming those feelings of anxiety were for her. And I think too, if we're struggling, you know, with some type of behavior change, it's not really easy to talk about. Like, you know, I wouldn't just necessarily call up my friend Kurt and say, hey, I'm like really struggling with this addiction <laughs> yeah. right now, you know? Uh, right. But, but what Stressless did is it just said like, hey, this is Amanda going through a bit of a hard time and wanting to check in would be great if you could give me a call later and we could chat. So that way it sort of like was a soft way to break the ice and just let people know that like, 
you know, it was a signal that I was having a hard time. And then it started to do the data component. So basically, like, I think that there were a lot of things around that time where it relied on the user to log different thoughts, almost like a journal. But I wanted to create something that would be automated because I think that we don't always think to log those things. That's where data science with health with like trackers became really exciting because it's all about that passive collection of data where it's continuous. I don't have to do anything. So I was trying to replicate something like that at this very early stage by basically just like, as soon as you, you could input some relevant information about like how your mood was sort of like on a scale of one to 10, what you're feeling with some like quick metrics so that people would have a log and it would be easier once it was tied to the pressing of the panic button to actually make those entries. So that is how I first got into data science and yeah, I'll pause because I know I'm like sharing a lot. But no, but it, yeah. it's very interesting. I just wanted to ask in terms of the data that you then received and tried to understand from it or learned from it, was there data visualization sent back to the, the user so that they could see from a graphical perspective, frequency and kind of whatever realization of that or visualization of that data was to, to give them some insight beyond just a log because data, you know, can be presented in many different ways, but did you find that data visualization was a, was an asset or direction in which you wanted to simplify that reporting? Yes. Great question. So I did use data visualization. There are lots of different ways to create that visualization and I decided to do it day of the week. So yeah, you could basically see like which days of the week maybe um, because I had a hypothesis that maybe like a weekend could be like something like if you had more downtime because sometimes people would see things come up uh, Yeah, if they got bored. But if they were busy, if they were working, if they were doing something that didn't happen very often. So I was trying to think about what type of um, information would be helpful and then frequency. So you could also show and then just see uh, over time, like sort of if the frequency count uh, week over week was going up or down. Cool. So does that app still exist in the app store? <laughs> it doesn't. And it never made it to the app store. So the boot camp that I did was full stack web development. And the way that I created it into a mobile app was using something called Ionic, which was a wrapper. It made this web screen into a mobile interface. Okay. Uh, so yes, that's what I did. But I have done iterations off of Stressless and what it exists as now, but it's still not in the app store, unfortunately. But the design is there. It's called Ninja Trails. Did you ever play Oregon Trail or do you know what that game is? I, I'm not a big gamer, but I think I did hear of it. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not a gamer, but in grade school, I played Oregon Trail. I was on like our old Apple Macintosh computers. And yeah, it's basically kind of like you are making your way across the trail and You'll have people there with you, but then things will happen. Like someone will get dysphoria or you'll run out of food or your wagon will like topple over or yeah, something. Right. These scenarios can happen. So the game that I created, Ninja Trails, it's a spinoff of Oregon Trail, probably more loved by people who played Oregon Trail. But what it does is the idea is the game is supposed to be capturing data, specifically looking at compassion. 
So amidst the scenario of you kind of going about these different experiences within the game, it basically looks specifically at how you show compassion to yourself and how you show compassion to other people in the game when different type of complex challenges or positive things might arise. And based off of that, what I was trying to do is both create a more specific diagnosis, but then also a treatment, which I think at the time of like, even when early mental health things started coming out, it was all very focused on diagnosis. Like I've followed a lot of them throughout the years. And there was one called MindStrong, which was founded by Tom Insel. Tom Insel was the director of the National Institute of Mental Health for, I think, a couple of decades. And then he moved to Google Verily or Google Life Science. And then he founded MindStrong. MindStrong was creating this digital prototyping tool on your phone that would basically track how you engage with your phone. And it would signal whether it thought you were encroaching on a level that might hit some type of unwanted behavior. But so I was trying to use this game as something similar. Like I wanted to, by measuring compassion, have it come up with, yeah, something more specific than just like depression or anxiety or addiction, like find and create a more personal diagnosis. And then based off of that information, the game and the experience would change so that you would be able to practice those skills. Because I think at the end of the day, mental health is a lot about skill management, but I don't think that we take the time in our day. We're not used to carving out time to practice those things. And so similar to a gym, if you have a gym membership, but you don't go, then it won't really do anything for you. I think if you sort of know what to do to manage your mental health, but if you don't have dedicated time to practice those things, mm -hmm. then you can't expect to like develop that skill. So what the game would do is, you know, like maybe it understands that you get stressed when a negative thing happens. And so it would give you an opportunity to practice your response by uh, giving you a negative experience and then trying to help guide you so that you're able to slow down and rather than react in a fight or flight mode, giving you things to help you to more methodically respond in a way that was more grounded. That's fantastic. It's like the gamification of mental health treatment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And then, I mean, obviously you're learning from the data. So machine learning is part of how you're sorting and, and representing data and recommendations. And do you consider that machine learning to be AI powered? I mean, you know, that's the big catchphrase these days. <laughs> so, oh, we're powered by AI, right? Well, how exactly? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. That's something I have not considered. Is it AI powered? I guess what could, I mean, an AI really, it's also very similar to a computer program. A computer program will, it will respond based off of given rules. And so basically how I saw this game working, it would just have a large rule set and it would be able to teach itself based off of the inputs it was receiving on how the user was interacting with the game, yeah. how to respond. So I guess you could call it AI powered, but it would definitely use machine learning models in order to train the model to know what it is to look for and what defined an act of compassion versus an act of like not being compassionate to yourself. And then 
what the follow-up response should be in order for that person to work on it. Cool. So yeah, you're talking about data, you're talking about health data. That's a big concern as some of these governments and certainly the EU is trying to give us some guidelines on what companies, tech companies are doing with data. What's your point of view uh, on the, uh, the issue of protecting data in an AI era these days? Yeah, I think that data protection is important for a lot of reasons. I think that even in order for people to feel comfortable to give their data, there should be clear regulations involved so that there is trust built with the... So yeah, I'm very interested in health data. I have a Garmin watch and it's tracking, you know, my heart rate, tracking my sleep, my HRV, and... And yeah, I mean, I think that uh, in the future, hopefully it could get more predictive. Like I could foresee something where, you know, maybe it understands that, well, and it's about, yeah, if you could combine data. So I think where we would want to get, or where some people, I think some people might find this creepy, but I think where data and I can really be life-changing or game-changing is if it could almost act like your personal assistant. Yeah. So it's like knows everything that you hope to achieve personally professionally health-wise and it's constantly gathering every piece of data around you including physiological response your calendar your spending habits your eating habits and it's able to uh, i always use the example i might have used this with you but in the early days of microsoft word there was a little paper clip Clippy. And it would just give you, yeah, Clippy. And Clippy would give you tips. You know, it might sort of see that you were hovering over something and it would say something like, oh, do you need help here? Well, maybe unbeknownst to me, because I'm running so fast and, you know, trying to get so many things done, I start to realize that I'm, you know, under breathing. Actually, that is a signal. I talk about this. A lot of times we'll end up holding our breath or under breathing. And our nervous system will actually engage in the physiological side, which is two inhales, followed by this long extended exhale. Andrew Huberman talks a lot about this in his podcast, but it's the body's way of engaging our parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and our digest. And we will underbreathe a lot when we're texting or maybe like, even if we're scrolling through social media. And now that I've heard this, I catch myself doing this quite often. <laughs> So I could imagine a little thing that says like, oh, hey, you know, like you're in this, you have a call, you know, in 30 minutes, you, you know, are sort of like starting to move into a fight or flight, you know, maybe it would be really helpful if you, you know, took five minutes to just like practice a breathing exercise. And maybe it sort of like knows the best way to calm me down, like the right audio, the right music, the right guided meditation. And maybe it also knows, like, based off of all of your caloric intake, we know that the best nutrition and food substance right now that you need that will also help your blood sugar levels, your stress levels, would be a green smoothie, you know, or something yeah. like that. And you happen to be, you know, five blocks from a smoothie place. You, I don't know. I mean, it could get like very. Yeah. Here's, uh, here's a coupon to J Jamba Juice down the block, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It could get very sophisticated by just knowing exactly what you need. But in order for that to happen, it requires the user to basically give up all of 
their personal data. And I think for people to feel comfortable with that, it requires a lot of trust. And I think in order for people to feel trust, they need to know that leaders are having really thoughtful conversations about this and trying to establish guidelines. I think that kind of you'll feel this in any work setting. I don't expect the guidelines to be right on day one. What I almost wish could happen is just sort of this iterative process where we try something out, we give it a specific time box or a time frame for how long we're going to experiment with it. Then we're going to go through a feedback stage. We're going to hear from people to see like, okay, how are these guidelines working? Is it too restrictive? Is it too open? Are there loopholes that we're identifying? And then, you know, sort of launch a V2 of those guidelines and then continuing to update the version through that feedback cycle. Yeah. I mean, you're assuming that there's more intellect (laughs) and and the people who are governing us than I think there is. Uh, But it is to the companies, right? They would go through, they would go through this normal process, right? When defining their product, you're in product development, you know, it's like, is there a market fit for this? What are the pros and cons? What are the repercussions? What are we doing with the data? What are the repercussions of sharing data? Will people share their data? Those are all valid questions in launching any product. So you're going to do that normally, right? But in terms of AI and the the machine learning that happens from, from receiving that data, it isn't necessarily raw data. It's actually... It's something else that's elevated that, you know, it's not clearly understood by the general public what is going on, what is actually going on. What's It's not just the selling of data, like, you know, with Facebook, it's like, oh, this person watched all these sports videos, so now market sporting goods to them. It's like, that's that's pretty simple, you know, a little creepy when, you know, you only talk about sports and then all of a sudden you're seeing the ads, right? You didn't interact with any videos. That's what's creepy. But with AI, it's something entirely different in terms of what is happening with the data. And, and so it is up to big tech because right now big tech is, is in control (laughs) of the AI development. There's a lot of developers doing, you know, wrapper type of products and stuff but it, it's very expensive so it, it still lies with big tech and i'm i'm hoping that some type of regulation will inspire responsibility in in big tech but i also think it needs consumer adv- advocacy besides big tech lobbying right because there's there are starting to be consortiums of, of big tech saying oh yeah we're going to take on this stuff it's like really Really? <laughs> I, I don't believe it. And, you know, it's all putting on a good face, but I, I think consumer advocacy and, and, and the smaller, you know, Davids versus the Goliaths, you know, they're equally concerned and want, you know, want their products to go and want to do things the right way and innovate for good. You know, I'm that's what seem, seemingly needs to happen, but I'm encouraged that at least the governments are starting to give us some guidelines because one, there was no guidelines when social media started, right? And just a complete de- debacle now. Hard to put the genie back in that bottle. Web3, the same thing. Crypto, same thing. NFTs, the same thing. And, you know, no regulations. And look where we are. So at least with generative AI, some something's happening. And I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Will it go far enough? I don't know. I agree with you that it should be, you know, an agile situation. Not that governments understand what, what the hell agile is, right? 
So, so no, this is the next this is generation. The <laughs> yeah, the next show. Oh, great, great. <laughs> help us next year. Okay, cool. So we have such an interesting background and very deep. We're getting close to a half an hour here, which we like to keep these conversations shorter than longer. Do you have any other points of view you want to share around AI or any cautionary tales or success stories or what's your vision? Certainly with even with ovations and, and AI as your head of product, you know, it's in your wheelhouse to see how you can integrate AI, if, if at all. I don't know. That's a data engine too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think with ovations, probably what most companies can really benefit from is using data science and machine learning in order to create more personalized experiences and then to provide recommendations, which is exactly, you know, zoomed out what I described with, uh, you know, your personal assistant being able to do for you in your life. But if I'm on ovations and let's say that I am trying to plan an event, let's say that I need 20 different speakers across, you know, two or three days, I think that personalization can come in by knowing, you know, what type of speakers that I might be looking for. It would have to, it would have to know something about me. So we would probably do um, a manual questionnaire or maybe from a person's profile to say, what type of events do you normally look for speakers for, what type of topics are you most interested in speakers who speak in? And then maybe we would look at the history. So maybe an individual has planned a lot of events around AI or maybe around health and wellness. Maybe they're specifically in some of these areas. And so what we would want to do is to help our bookers discover talent that would be really interesting to them. So again, it's almost kind of similar to TikTok. I think TikTok is a really great platform for discovery because unlike Instagram or Facebook, which is really your feed is based on the people that you follow, TikTok, at least from my experience, it's a lot about the content. So if there is content that I tend to, you know, engage in and watch for a long time, I will find lots of different people that I don't follow that I've never heard of that I would probably not otherwise engage with. But all of a sudden, that's probably the majority of my feed, people that I don't follow, but doing things around the content that I'm most interested in. So I think we would try, we would want to try to incorporate something because Ovations is trying to help, yeah, people book these events. So anything that would help that experience to be easier, to be more successful, I think would benefit both sides. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a leap to think of Ovations as possibly a content platform because you talked about TikTok, right? <laughs> content platform, but TikTok also, I, I, I believe, still has kind of a matchmaking component with influencers and brands and in support of advertising and sponsorship. So I think, I think TikTok is an interesting model to, you know, learn from certainly the popularity of it means they're doing something right. They've, they've tapped into something that a lot of many companies have not certainly many social media companies have not. Well, fantastic. We want to give one last plug to ovations and then we'll close. Yeah. Whether you are speaker and you're looking to do more talks in the next year, whether you're looking to plan events and discover new speakers, visit Ovations and you can either sign up a speaking talent or you can 
talking about the speaker. You can find me on LinkedIn and would love to help you or hear any feedback that you have. Awesome. Well, love this conversation, Amanda. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and catch more of our Realm IQ sessions on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. Please follow and subscribe. It's very important. Thanks again, Amanda. want to have you back and track your progress and uh, great, stimulating, very different conversations. So, But I, I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kurt. It was great to be here. Thanks, everyone. You can now catch Realm IQ sessions on your favorite podcast channels, including Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and iHeart Podcasts. Or listen to the full sessions at kurtdoty.co forward slash Realm IQ. If your company is interested in reaching an audience of AI professionals and decision makers to promote your event or product, we do have sponsorship opportunities. If you enjoy these discussions on AI, please push that subscribe button below. I'll see you in the next video. Realm IQ. Book your corporate AI workshop today. Subscribe to our Media Slam newsletter and learn more about the intersection of design, content, and technology. KurtDoty.co. Branding, marketing, and product development.